by the power vested in me, I now pronounce you listener and this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, it is donation time here at Potterless. Each month, we donate $1 for each member of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterless to a new charity. At the beginning of March, we had 859 patrons, meaning we will be giving $859 to the CDC Foundation. It was a pretty obvious choice for the charity this month. Coronavirus is really doing some damage and is becoming rapidly widespread and and it's still a time where everyone is learning a lot and the CDC is really trying to be on top of things in order to prevent the spread and the CDC Foundation makes that possible. This foundation helps the CDC prepare for and respond to this crisis situation, so I'm very excited to be donating to this charity. If you want to learn more about them, you can go to cdcfoundation.org and everyone, just wash your hands, please. Sing Happy Birthday twice or the chorus of Toto's Africa is also 20 seconds. Sing that, wash your hands, don't touch your face, be smart out there, everyone. Also, I wanted to take this time to thank everyone who said kind things to Kelly and I this past week. If you didn't realize, we got married on the 29th in Texas, and it was fun and wonderful and beautiful, and so many people sent comments on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and email that I do not think I will be able to reply to all of them. It will take so long, but that just shows how wonderful and supportive this community is. So from the bottom of both my heart and Kelly's heart, we thank every single person who reached out and thought of us on our special day, and we also had a great time over the honeymoon and thanks everyone for having the patience with these episodes and me being a bit absent from social media. It was a nice little break and I'm ready to get back at it though, working on episodes, working on patron merchandise and bonus content and all of that. So thank you all so much for everything. Also, tickets to the crossover show between Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and Potterless are still live. You can get those over at multitude.productions live. And finally, speaking of things and people that make me excited, we have new patrons to welcome to the team. Sir Shadow 2, Caitlin Colger, Monica Rodriguez, Landon Schwausch, Lacey Dream, Ariel Tusa, Alicia Hennessy, Tucker Trujillo, Goofus Maximus, Erinaceous, Suzanne Mulder, Kylie Sears, and the returns of Mariana Diaz and Ville Donner. Shout out to Erica Swan and Jessica Crow who upgraded their pledge. A huge shout out to Rike Mangor Jensen and Taylor Payne who upgraded to the producer status, as well as our new producer level patrons, Rochelle Mobbs, Megan Moon, Alicia Chapman, and Riley Kiedis. They join the ranks of Vicky Aaron, Jesse Clow, Marchismo, Samantha Juan, Rose Marie, Marie Lisa, Romina, Audra, Eleanor, Rossanne, Nikita, Ali, Amelia, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Takari, Haley, Moster, Ingen, Alex, John, Noel, Emily, Liz, Brandon, Sarah, Claire, Rory, Gloria, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Friday, Ivor, Naomi, Summer, Andrea, Lynn, Justin, Christine, Jacob, Toothless Maya, Mark, Polly, Netta, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Addie, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Alicia, Kafir, Lindy, Sarah, Marta, Erin, Eileen, Violet, Lindsay, Keegan, Miranda, Gail, Ann, Mr. Folk, Maya, Kieran, Lily, Wire Warrior, Floor, Siri, Georgia, Peter, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Daniel, Lee, Lily, Elizabeth, Michael, Tiffany, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Mary, Jennifer, Jaden, Nedry, Will, Samantha, Kayla, Aurora, Emma, Out of Context, Marcos, Hannah, Courtney, Victoria, Marie, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, Julie, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Anna, Fake, Brianna, Jenny, Sarah, McKenna, Mary, Joy, Heather, Dead Cat Lady, Javi, Darlene, Brad, Thomas, Charlotte, Brianna, Kevin, Lori, Chrissy, Bugaboo, Jarl, Haley, Emma, Ashley, Pita, Sophie, Jack, Jen, and Nicole, Callahan, Kylo, Leah, Melissa, Jordy, Bella, Melanie, Bill, Victoria, Joe, Elizabeth, Britt, Molly, Becca, Anthony, Rees, Adam, Madison, Kyle, Tonks, G, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, David, Maria, Matt, Okamahime, Yimki, Bony Pony, Jacob, Kelsey, Taco, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never miss a single spot when applying sunscreen, meaning that they don't get awkward sunburn. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus content such as bonus episodes, Johnny and I recently put up another episode of Maturity Corner, or Director's Commentary, or exclusive merchandise, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 116 of Potterless, the fourth and final part about the eighth movie in the film franchise, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, guest starring my wife, Kelly Beckman, and Ty Stafford.
now that Kelly has said something incredibly meaningful, I have to bring us back to the yin and yang and say something that is just a silly observation that I made because the next scene is between Voldemort and Snape when they're having their old back and forth. Voldemort's head veins, super intense. <laughs> really dark purple squiggly head veins on his skull. He's stressing. God, just big old veins on the dome. He is very stressed. So he's talking to Snape and worrying about the Elder Wand and why it isn't working for him. This scene is actually incredible. Ray Fiennes, who is Voldemort, and Alan Rickman are both phenomenal. This is a master class of acting. Yes. It's really good. The tension is so palpable. It's just the whole time you're watching it, I guess part of this is because you know what happens, but just the whole scene, it's like, oh man, oh no, oh gee, oh beans, like, oh no. Uh, you just feel like something bad's gonna happen. You know it's gonna go down. Now riddle me this though, because I <laughs> felt like I found a major flaw here in the logic of how this wand gets passed around. Okay. And he... Comes to the conclusion that he has to kill Snape. Yes. But he has the snake kill him. Yeah. So would the I snake now be the wand holder? <laughs> That's what I said too when we were watching well, it. In the movie, I'm not sure if this is how it is in the book, when he ultimately kills Snape, in the movie he slashes his throat and then tells Nagini to kill him. I thought in the book he just has the sphere, which has got the snake inside of it. He moves that to be over Snape's head so that Snape can't escape, and then Nagini just bites him to death. Regardless, then, Nagini would be the one that killed him. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like a I don't kill people, bullets kill people kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> like from that Tom Cruise movie where he was a bad guy that one time and – with Jamie Foxx, I never saw this movie because I think I was too young, but it was like, I didn't kill the guy. He like shoots a guy and he falls off of a building. And he's like, I didn't kill the guy. The bullets in the fall did. I guess it could kind of be like that where it's like Voldemort did tell the snake to kill Snape. So I guess that would make him. Yeah. In the book, mm -hmm. he is killed by the snake. Just the snake. Just he, the snake. he just moves the sphere over his head. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But then in the movie, does he also cut his throat? In the movie, he cuts his throat first and then sends the snake. Still, this is your most loyal follower and you're killing him because you have to. Viciously too, with a throat cut and a like snake? very viciously and painfully. Why not just Avada Kedavra him? Voldemort? Maybe because he has to mean it and he doesn't actually mean it. Ooh, that could be it. But also Voldemort's one for the theatrics. That's just so horrible. This is your most loyal servant. You don't want to kill him and you give him the most brutal, painful death. Make him bleed out from the throat. Look, when you hit a home run, do you have to flip your bat in celebration? <laughs> no, but it looks cool. That's right. When you yam a dunk on someone, do you have to stare them down afterwards and probably get a technical foul? No, but it looks cool. When do, you're can you just killing kill him with snake, a cadaver or make him die with a giant snake? Like, it looks cool. <laughs> Voldemort is here for the theatrics. And he knew Snape would appreciate it, you know? <laughs> You're like, oh, Snape he wants to go out like, big. Oh, that was actually pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so then Snape is dying and the squad runs in and he does the tears to get the memories out of and harry asks for money for a little flask to put it in one thing i found very interesting is alan rickman slash snape's pronunciation of pensive because he says it like it's a french word he says mm, pensive. <laughs> <laughs> i'll try to put a clip in of him saying it but he pronounces it like oh pensive oh oui oui <laughs> take them to the pensive le pensive <laughs> 
Take the uh, memory and put it in the pensive. <laughs> S'il vous plaît. French Snape. Oh, goodness. French Snape. Wow. Oh, give me the French audiobook. I want to hear Snape in French. Omelette du fromage. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think the Snape death is done very well. It's dramatic. It's sad. I think Alan Rickman is incredible. Oh, yeah. Almost too incredible. I've said... Time and time again, he makes Snape too likable, and I don't think he's that likable in the books. Yeah. But I think in the book, all he says is, look at me. But in the movie, they add, you have your mother's eyes. Whereas in the book, you had to learn that. Because I learned that the hard way in recording an episode of Potter. So I was like, why does he say, look at me? That's kind of weird. And someone's like, yeah, it's because he's obsessed with Lily and Harry has Lily's eyes. That's why he's doing it. Yeah, so but the book also then eyes. goes on to describe Harry's eyes. Mm-hmm. That says his green eyes looked at him or something like that. Ah, there it is, there it is, there it yeah. is. So you're supposed to imply. I'm not blind. I just didn't get that Impl- Snape was being a creep. <laughs> <laughs> but then we have another Voldemort ASMR session where he's like, ah, come on, I'm talking directly to you now, Harry Potter. <laughs> I want Voldemort is massive. I love that, too, that he's choosing to talk to everyone whilst calling him out specifically subtweeting him it's like it's not even a subtweet it's like on twitter when you are talking to someone but you put the period before the at that's right so that everyone that's right. can see it <laughs> period at harry potter <laughs> come to the forbidden forest so i can kill your ass hashtag death eaters for life <laughs> <laughs> so then you have the scene where everyone is dealing with all of the dead bodies. The note I do have here is, oh yeah, Lavender's dead. (laughs) They just reveal some deaths instead of showing them as they did in the book. Fred's death in the book is absolutely tragic because a plot point that they've completely removed from the movie is Percy coming back. So Percy, the the one brother that was at odds with the family because he was working for the ministry and said mean things about Arthur and all of that. He comes back in the room of requirement, like right after Harry comes back. And has a great reunion with the family, apologizes for being a prat, his words. And there's a point during the fight where Percy is fighting against his old boss and makes a little bit of a joke. And then Fred laughs at the joke. He's like, Percy, I think that was your first time ever telling a joke. And then right after that, Fred dies. So it's I do, super though, sad. The death in the movie Still makes me cry. Well, you mean the reveal of the dead body? Right. Because you I, I don't, don't see know. the death. Really. Right. You see him get disarmed at one point, but you don't actually no. see him die. I, the the family gathering around him. Rough. What gets me more in movies or books is people's reactions to something sad rather True. than the sad thing itself. So like Harry's reaction to Dobby's death or Ron's reaction when he comes upon his family mourning Fred. Right. I still cry and I've seen that movie so many times. Mm-hmm. You tried to make a joke immediately afterward. I was like, I'm still mourning this loss, Michael. Which joke did I try to make? I don't know. You said something funny and I was like, I can't pay attention to you right now. Well, at least they got another one. They're twins. <laughs> <laughs> and you said something like, look, the Empire State Building's twinkling. Or like uh, something <laughs> else. And I was just like, I can't. <laughs> this was tough because I didn't remember that he died. Neither did Kelly. <laughs> Not this time. I There's, blocked it the out. The last time Kelly was on Potter, she forgot Fred died. I did. I block it out as frequently as I can. <laughs> but then after this, they show you Tonks and Lupin being dead. And That's that too. In the book, it's also very abrupt. 
the actual reveal in the book is like this. When you see all the dead bodies, mm-hmm. you just see Tonks and Lupin. And then he just gets out of there to move on because he just can't even process it, which I think is really done well in the book and is kind of done here. What is something that's, I guess, a little less sad is that they don't talk about this in the movie. They, the whole plot point that's gone is Tonks and Lupin have a kid named Teddy. Do they not talk about that in the movie? They talk about it super briefly only when Harry does the resurrection stone and they're brought back to life. Harry's like, your son. And he's like, don't worry, he'll be fine. Is that the first time, Ty? In the first, in the seventh movie, when they're all in the house together, Mm -hmm. they say something very vague, like, we have such great news or something. And then Mad-Eye Moody's like, okay, we'll have time to chat later. And you can tell Ah. it's it's, it's as if they're saying, Mm. like, that he's going to say that they're pregnant. Mm, okay, okay. But yeah, they never explicitly say it. So they have a kid and he has Tonks's metamorph magus abilities where his hair changes color and stuff. And I've always said, and I think JK is writing this. It's my big theory is that she's writing the spinoff story because he's an orphan. His dad's a werewolf. His mom's a metamorph magus. What if he's a werewolf metamorph magus orphan? Like... <laughs> I think it could be such an incredible story. Story just writes itself. I think she's doing it. And he wasn't in Chris Child, which feels very intentional. So we shall see. But then later on, we have Harry taking Snape's tears to the pensive. And here's a question I had. Since when is the pensive a floating disc? She takes this thing out. It floats. It goes into the thing. They never did this before. I don't know why they decided to add this. I don't remember what it looked like in the other ones. It's just in a stone thing. Like it's described in the book. But in the movie, they decide, oh, no, have this cool effect where you throw it and it floats through the air and we waste 12 seconds. That's <laughs> time we could have spent on explaining horcruxes. <laughs> I have two back-to-back Kelly notes from oh. when you go through the Snape flashbacks. Oh, I, I think I got one that I hope we all noticed it. Okay. Oh. First note is that when they're going and they show the young kids in school and stuff, Kelly goes, these people are actually 12. And then immediately the first one where they show the parents who are supposed to be 22 at the time of their death, Kelly goes, these people are not 22. (laughs) (laughs) What was your note, Ty? During the sorting hat scene. Oh, (laughs) Snape's face. Oh, no. McGonagall behind him. Is oh, like you notice. Oh, I think the exact same age. She oh. she's just been that old forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even notice her there. I couldn't believe they used her. I was That's like, well, how would you use this actor knowing that? Don't like, use anybody. Yeah, you could have used anybody. It's not for that. necessary. Or just frame it in a different way where you don't see her face. Yeah. Yes. Go back and watch. It just fully took me out for a second. I was like, whoa, okay, she's just been old forever. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't even notice. Yeah. So in the montage, they cut out some stuff, which makes sense for time. But very conveniently, they cut out all the memories where Snape does bad stuff. So they cut out the time where, as a kid, Snape says uh, he calls Lily a mudblood, which explains why Lily and Snape kind of fractured their friendship a bit. Yeah. They cut out some things where Snape's getting involved with the Death Eaters mm-hmm. and you kind of see that and Lily's warning him against it. You cut out the part where when Snape talks to Dumbledore before the death happens, you show that Snape doesn't really care about James or Harry. He only cares about Lily. So they very conveniently remove all of the things that make Snape look bad. And 
I guess the point is this is supposed to be the reveal where Snape is a good guy, so you just kind of have to shorten it for time and do the good stuff, but I think you lose a little bit of the complex nature, and this is why, again, I think people like, some people like Snape more than the books let on, because in the movies, he's far more likable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Alan Rickman, so he's I far mean, yeah, more yeah, you can't. I mean, I even watched Die Hard recently for the first time, and he's likable as Hans Gruber. He's so, he's so charismatic, though his accent in Die Hard is whack. It is strange and inconsistent and is nothing. So the montage in the beginning is a bit rushed, but then when they actually get to the part where they're explaining Horcruxes and Harry being the secret Horcrux, they actually slow down and do a very good job of explaining it. Did you feel well caught up there, Ty? Like, did you feel like it all made sense when they were doing that in the montage? It did start to catch up. I was like, okay, cool. I'm I'm connecting part A, part B, part C. (laughs) Yeah, I thought they actually did that very, very well. Then they changed something where before Harry goes into the forest to give himself up because he now has learned that he's the last Horcrux aside from the snake, so he has to die. There is something that changes. In the book, what happens is Harry just tries to sneak out because he knows Ron and Hermione won't let him just willingly go and face death. And while he is going, he runs into Neville. And this is the point when he tells Neville, because the whole thing with Horcruxes is you couldn't tell anyone. So that's another thing from before. Aberforth knows about Horcruxes in the movie. That doesn't happen in the book. That doesn't make any sense. The whole thing of why Dumbledore was being secret about it is because they couldn't know, because then Voldemort could find out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when Harry in the book sneaks out to go give himself up to Voldemort to die, he runs into Neville. And he doesn't tell Neville about Horcruxes, but he tells Neville, hey, You got to kill the snake. Make sure you or Ron or Hermione or someone kills the snake. I can't tell you what or why, but you got to kill it. And this is the way that Harry is making sure that they go on to do it, even if he dies, because if Harry dies, that's one Horcrux, but the snake still has to be killed. In the movie, though, Harry talks to Ron and Hermione, and then... They Which let I don't him go. Like they would never let him go. Yeah, right. In fact, she offers up going with him. Right. And she definitely would have insisted on that too. Mm-hmm. And then also you lose it makes Neville's whole coming of age moment not as good because then he's not seeking out to kill the snake. He just, just kills like the snake because he happens to. to be yeah, he kind of is just the right place right time with the sword. And it attacks Ron and Hermione and he kills it. That really disappointed me. We are starting now to get into everything about this is crap. Right. And usually I pull up for these. I do research with some Wikipedia pages about all the things that are different from the book and the movie to make sure I don't miss anything. And what they do at this point, they're just like, everything is so different. Like They don't even go point by point. They just say like, everything is so different so Harry goes into the forest he has the resurrection stone he does the I'm ready to die at the snitch for I open at the close it comes out uh, shout out to all my D&D friends out there because it's just a D8 <laughs> like it's a perfect shape of a D8 there and then all of the people come back the way Lily reaches out her hand is so dramatic she just sticks it straight out like very Ginny like <laughs> yeah yeah runs in the family awkward limbs or I guess they're not related by blood, but still, they're awkward limbs. And she's way, way too old for their ages. I looked up the ages because they're supposed to be like in their 20s. The actress that played Harry's mom, 44, oh. and Gary Oldman, 53 oh. at the time this movie came out. Well, Gary Oldman's a little older, but he's still too old to be serious. He's, like, he's supposed to be late 30s, 13 years older than the parents. Yeah, so late 30s. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman was 53. Yeah. <laughs> 
Then Lily, they add something where Lily says always. She doesn't say that in the book, right? I think that's only in the movies. I don't know. But then you've got the resurrection thing. He's talking to them. They're hyping him up about death, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have the thing where Harry gets into the forest to give himself up. And Pettigrew is still there. So Peter Pettigrew never dies. He dies in the book in a very dramatic fashion where he chokes himself to death with the silver hand that Voldemort has given him. And he's just like still here in the movie. I, you know, just a little inconsistency or whatever. She doesn't say always. I looked it up. Yeah. I guess they're just trying to add a Snape thing there. Yeah. I don't know. But then you have the thing where you go into the dreamscape King's Cross thing. Yeah. And. Which this I actually think was pretty well done. Yeah. I think it was too. Pretty close to what I could have imagined it to be. Mm-hmm. Although in my mind, it was more of a subway station than a King's Cross station. Oh, that's where that's where we see like Voldemort covered in pasta sauce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I did write, ew, the flayed baby. And they're very <laughs> obvious about it being Voldemort. Dumbledore says that's a part of Voldemort's soul that is you know going on to die or whatever. In the book, it's incredibly vague and you kind of have to infer it. But in the movie, they're just much more straightforward about it. But a joke that I had made to Kelly at some point we were watching is they show the flayed baby and Harry goes, what is that? And then Dumbledore takes a bit of a pause. And then I went, that's lunch. (laughs) (laughs) No. It does look like he's covered in pasta sauce. It's a very astute observation. He's just a messy baby. (laughs) So... Dumbledore explains everything here. I do think it's well done. It's a little more obvious. Dumbledore explains things a little bit more in the movie than he does in the book, but it makes sense. So then Harry comes back to life and they send Narcissa over to check on Harry being dead. And just something that I think makes a little less sense is Narcissa walks up, asks if Draco is still alive. Then Harry nods his head yes. That is more obvious from people looking to see if you're dead than very quietly whispering yeah. Uh, yeah, he's still alive. Like, not people from far away could be like, hey, he just moved his head. <laughs> Whereas if he whispers, they're so far away from everyone that no one will hear him. I thought that was bonkers. Yeah. And also sending Narcissa makes no sense because at this point, and this is book two, they also send Narcissa. It doesn't make any sense because he doesn't really trust the Malfoys here. So I don't know why he doesn't send Bellatrix. Maybe maybe he's afraid that if Harry's alive, he's going to pop up and kill one of them. So he's like, let me send a disposable person. That could be it. I still, maybe you send a second one to double check, but that's just Voldemort. Oh, that silly Voldemort just doesn't have a grasp on how to manage his team and deal with things that are dispensable or indispensable. Hey, it's me editing, Mike. Speaking of indispensable things, here's something that I need in order for this to continue to be my job. Wingardium Adridosa. Today's episode is brought to you by another podcast that I help create, Horse. Horse is a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. Every other week, I am joined by my buddy Adam Amawala, and we discuss just the entertaining elements of the NBA and the WNBA. We will talk about player drama. We will talk about Twitter beefs. We will talk about cool uniforms. We will talk about significant trades and hirings and firings and all sorts of fun stuff. We talk about things that are currently going on in the leagues, and we also share wild stories from basketball back in the day. Whether you are already a fan of basketball and you want something that's more lighthearted around the sport you love, or if you have no idea what basketball is and you want to get a bit more of an understanding about the sport, Horse can be a great gateway for you. So no matter where your basketball fandom lies, Horse is the podcast for you. We are breaking down gates and we are open for everyone. You can listen at horsehoops.com or search Horse wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get right 10% you can off get, your first purchase right by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So another thing that didn't make any sense to me is that when they are walking back with, quote-unquote, dead Harry, the Death Eaters are incredibly somber. They look almost sad. Yeah, they're supposed to be, like, having a ball right now. They've just won. They're supposed to be yelling and laughing and talking trash, and Hagrid's supposed to be in tears and so upset about it, and they made Hagrid carry Harry. They're supposed to be celebrating and hooting and hollering and... They just walk slowly and somberly. I don't get it. It's almost like they are upset that Harry died. It's it's so strange to me. Voldemort's got a big ear-to-ear grin, but that's about it. And and he kind of has to force them into that excitement. Like, when he says, like, and Harry's dead and kind of looks at everyone. Then they all start laughing. It's like a Jeb Bush please clap moment. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. They're clearly not on board, but they just, like, have to entertain it. (sighs) So they show up at the courtyard, and bless Bonnie Wright's heart, but Ginny screams like, Neville, who's that with Hagrid? No! 
Oh man. my god, <laughs> man. So bad. So rough. So Very rough. forced. Speaking of force, the Draco thing is super strange and makes no sense and isn't in the book where they call for Draco and oh, he goes yeah. over and he hugs Voldemort incredibly awkwardly. Uh, skin weird. crawling. The sound that Voldemort makes when he hugs him. <laughs> did you guys recognize that? Yeah, what did it it's, it's just another one of those sounds of like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to put in a sound clip of that editing yeah, wise. <laughs> ah! oh, well done, Draco. Yeah, it was just so awkward. I don't know why they did this. They didn't have to do this. This was not. It was weird. In it, was it weird book. for you, Ty? It was weird for me. <laughs> I didn't understand. I was like, because this is the last time we see Draco, right? Draco. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Until we get to the way end where he's like chilling on the platform and everyone thinks he's good now. Yeah. So I didn't bridge that gap. I'm like, he went to the bad side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes that make even less sense. Like how, why is everyone just cool with him being hanging out now? That's true. I thought that in a couple of m- minutes when they very dramatically walk away from the battle. The Malfoys all leave. Yeah, then when the three Malfoys leave before the battle, second part of the battle starts, I think that that's a really, a great moment. But nobody saw them do that, so. Right. Well, them walking away, I interpreted it like they were just scared. That's what you're supposed to get. I mean, it's just they're looking out for themselves. I thought it was, we don't care about this fight anymore. We're out. Like, we don't care either way about this fight anymore. We're out. I guess. I mean, I think the whole thing you're supposed to get with Narcissa and Lucius and Draco is that, especially with Narcissa, she's just concerned about the family, wants to keep her family safe, and that's number one priority. One might say that she's narcissistic. Nice, 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 nice. And one could say that Lucius has luscious hair. (laughs) (laughs) One could say that Draco is... Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Dracmatic. <laughs> He's like Drake, ho. Ugh. Bad at rapping? <laughs> yeah, you didn't see that scene. Texts underage girls <laughs> way too often? What? Drake? You don't know this? Oh, you're talking about Drake. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, Draco. It's a big subplot. <laughs> That was a whole thing. I'm like, in the hold movie. on, what? <laughs> That's really why you're not supposed to like him. <laughs> Wait, so he doesn't he doesn't do anything to redeem himself i was looking for a moment of him like when they panned him on the side of all the kids i I thought i thought he was gonna stay there and be like no i'm fighting with my crew and when he just goes and hugs voldemort awkwardly and then leaves i thought okay surely the book must have a moment where he redeems himself the book doesn't have any sort of redeeming moment for him there's a point where Someone, one of the squad under the invisibility cloak punches him in the face or something. Yeah. There's no like actual redeeming moment of Draco. The most redeeming you get is Narcissa lying to Voldemort. Mm -hmm. That's the most redemption you get for the family. So we are to assume that they, in arguably one of the most important moments in wizarding history, uh, the showdown of these two, when Draco goes to the Death Eaters and goes over there, that later in life... They're all just cool with it. According to the movie, yes. That is weird. Jesus. That's so rough. That's so rough. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't be great. That's weird. Yeah, now that you point that out. I mean, it'd be like a World War II thing, and it's like, we saw you give Hitler a hug. Right, yeah, exactly. And put on an SS uniform, dude. No, 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 no. Don't worry, I'm chill now. Right. No, we left. (laughs) Yeah, we left. It's fine. (laughs) Were all Nazis sent to prison for life? I 
am not a history buff. I do not know. Or did people that got sent to jail then get out again? Like wondering, just hypothetically, did the Malfoys get sent to jail and now they're out again? Maybe. I do not know enough about World War II history to answer this question. Interesting. I don't know. I'm sure that top-ranking officials were. I hope. But, I mean, when you think about Rolf in The Sound of Music, which I don't know if you've seen that or not, Mike. I've seen it, but I don't remember anything from Rolf it is the boy the who is not a bad boy, but he's just an impressionable boy, and he gets taken up into this propaganda and mm-hmm. becomes bad through it. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, he's just a impressionable child. Right. He's 17. And mm-hmm. so, or no, he's 18, going on 19. Anyway, <laughs> but he's he's just an impressionable kid. Would somebody like that be sent to prison for life? I do not know. I, I do know. know that I don't like Nazis. It's funny that you use that term, he's not a bad boy, because my wife and I were literally saying that phrase, like, when Draco was on the platform at the end, like, oh, look, he's not a bad boy. <laughs> he's the opposite <laughs> of it. He's a good a good boy? Like, what the fuck He's is a he? neutral guy at <laughs> yeah. the end. He's just a neutral guy. I'll talk about this in the deleted scenes episodes, but I think there is a deleted scene where Draco does something like runs a wand to Harry or something. Really? Yeah. See, that would help. It's some sort of, they, there was some redeeming moment. Even just that gesture would do something for me. Now that you mention it, he needed to do something. For him to be standing on that platform, mm-hmm. he needed to do something for them to think he's not still pining away for the... The dark right. arts. In the book, there's just like nothing. But the movie is the Voldemort hug is damning. When they fly out of the room of requirement, does anything happen? Do they say anything to each other? I don't. There's I don't. like an understanding, I feel like, between the two of them that neither of them is trying to kill the other. Yeah. They're I both trying to is. serve their purpose, but neither of them is trying to kill the other. Right. But it's it's a very neutral thing in the book. And in the movie, him hugging Voldemort does it's not feel so... very neutral. That's yeah. damning for sure. Well, I also got the impression he didn't want to go over there. It was more of just like his yeah. parents were calling him. He does over. not hug Voldemort back at all. He just stands still. <laughs> so so it is not a not a mutual. Oh, hug. that leads me to my we we missed it, but my other favorite movie line is when they're in the forest and one of the um, Death Eaters is like, uh, "He's not coming, my lord," or something like that. Pettigrew and, says that, and Voldemort goes, "I can't believe he didn't come." And I just <laughs> feel like. I feel like he just like sounds like this guy who just got stood up on a date. <laughs> I can't believe it. He said he would be here at 7.30. Let's give him five more minutes. Maybe, maybe he got lost that. on the way over. <laughs> maybe he's still coming and his phone is dead. Maybe, maybe he just a, didn't charge it. Maybe he's on a different time zone than us. <laughs> maybe he went to a different locations of chilies. Another round of apps while I wait, please. <laughs> Yes, I want the sampler platter, please. I would like the mozzarella sticks and the hush puppies. The, the mozzarella wands. <laughs> and a treacle tart, because it's a British thing. So obviously they have it at Chili's with hush puppies and mozzarella sticks. Yeah, it's canonical. Right. It's in Hogsmeade. There's just a Chili's. <laughs> so then we have Neville limping out into the crowd to give this soapbox speech. And this is another thing that is ruined and makes no sense in the movie. There's no world in which Voldemort lets Neville go on this speech. That that does not happen in the book. What happens in the book is actually pretty freaking cool. So in the book, Voldemort goes on and he's talking smack about Harry. Neville stands up to him or something and Voldemort calls him out. Says, come forward. What's your name? Says Neville. Does the whole kind of like, we'll find a place for you in our ranks, boy, kind of thing. And then he makes Neville, who is 
is, is Neville holding the sorting hat or do they bring in the sorting hat? No, he makes him an example and he flies in the sorting hat, okay. puts it on Neville's head, mm-hmm. makes it so it can't come off and right. then sets it on fire. Yes, which is way more intense. In the movie, Neville is just walking in holding the sorting hat, which is like, why do you have the sorting hat, dude? That's true. <laughs> I mean, he get, he does pull the sword out of it. I don't know if he knows this is going to happen. He has to, in the movie context, he must know that this is going to happen. But Well, in I the movie, know. if you notice when he has the hat, he looks in at one point and they don't say anything. They don't show it. But it felt like he, through his reaction, he saw the sword in there. Okay. Hmm. I don't know how Neville would have known that the sword is going to be in there because the only time this happened was when Harry pulled it out in the second movie slash book. But Neville in the book is set on fire, or the hat is set on fire when it's on his head, and that's when Harry stops pretending being dead, sets off spells, and then... That's when a bunch of, like, giants and other supporters come mm-hmm. running in. Mm-hmm. Well, can we quickly talk about his about Neville's speech, though? <laughs> so Yes, bad. very quickly. Let me, let me recap what happens, because it's super cool. Then Neville gets the Sword of Gryffindor... And by surprise, basically, decapitates Nagini while Voldemort is there next to it. They're making the whole big speech. It's like right in that moment. And then Voldemort freaks out and then the fight begins. It's not the way they do the Nagini in the movie. Anyway, Neville's speech. Real bad. I just love how it starts. (laughs) Like, he he says something along the line. I I don't remember it perfectly. He's just like. It doesn't matter. Like, people die all the time, guys. <laughs> that is exactly what he says. I was like, dang, dude. Like, so, this is your friend. <laughs> yeah, we lost some people tonight. Fred, Lupin, Togs, whatever. <laughs> it's like... It was just so, so hardcore. I was like, dang, oh, dude. All right, this is how we're going for it. So then they break into the fight, which is completely botched. In the book, you have a situation where... Harry and Voldemort are circling each other, literally walking in a circle, much like Scar and Simba in The Lion King. Perfect. They're just pacing in a circle for minutes on end, going back and forth, talking smack, etc. <laughs> just trash talking? Yes. Well, before this, Voldemort also sees... Bellatrix die. Right. Voldemort sees Nagini die, and then he sees Bellatrix die. Like, he sees those things before he dies. Yeah, the Bellatrix-Molly death happens right before the big duel with Harry. Yeah. And also in the book, I think that duel is done a little bit better. Yeah. Harry explains the whole, he goes monologuing on him and explains everything that he explains to Ron and Hermione. At the end. At the the end, he explains to the crowd and... Voldemort. While they're pacing in a circle with everyone watching. Yeah. Everyone is watching. Pretty cool. And Voldemort has just seen Bellatrix die. He has just seen Nagini die. He knows. He knows it's the end. It's the end. And One Harry way or the other. And yeah. is explaining this whole wand thing to him, which in the movie when he does explain some of the stuff about the wand to Voldemort before they jump off of the cliff together. Oh Harry's doing it as if he's trying to like convince Voldemort to not attack him. It's like this weird tone that I don't think hits. The thing where he grabs Voldemort's neck and like pulls him down off the, off yeah. the, it's weird. It's very weird. But in the book, when he's describing this stuff, Harry's doing it as a way to psych Voldemort out and like get inside his head. And it's just completely a different vibe in the movie, and it makes me really upset. Yeah. 
Very different vibes. Is this happening? This is like where they're up in that point where he pulls them off and they start yeah. falling? Because yes. what I also noticed, there's a certain point where they just start fist fighting. Yeah. yeah. Voldemort slaps him in the face a couple times. <laughs> it's just like, this is the first time I've seen fist fighting go on in this entire thing. All Voldemort has to do in his mind to achieve eternal life is kill Harry Potter. And he has multiple points where you can just be like, I'm a cadaver. Okay, cool. I did it. But he slaps him in the face while Harry's trying to reason with him. It's, it's so, so weird. <laughs> weird. And what also doesn't make any sense in the book, it's just the two of them all fighting is stopped. It's a duel. That's it everyone's watching. In this one, there's still stuff going on and they get separated and then it's just them and no one's around them? Really? Okay. It's so strange and I don't understand why they did it this I way. I don't know why. But then you have the super weird thing where Harry calls him Tom, <laughs> which does make sense. He does that in the book, but it does make sense because he's trying to get in Voldemort's head and psych him out when he reveals like, the Elder One's not yours, Tom. Ha ha ha, I'm Harry Potter. But in the movie, he's got this weird tone where it seems like he's pleading with him. And he's like, come on, the one's not going to work for you, Tom. And then grabs him by the neck and they jump off the cliff together. And then they're flying through That's, the and air. And this is how we started it. Uh, yeah. Together. Yeah. <laughs> and they're flying through the air. Then don't even get me started about when their faces meld together. That's weird. For what feels like an eternity. It's a couple seconds, but it feels like an hour. Why did... Maybe they're really trying to get across the Harry as a horror. No, Harry's not a horcrux anymore. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why they had to do that and show it for so long. It was not that cool of a visual effect. No. It was just weird and it, it makes weird. no sense. Yeah. So they do that whole fight. Then they're doing the thing afterwards where they're just shooting vague spells at each other. Yeah. They don't even say that it's Avada Kedavra and Expelliarmus, which is what it is in the books. I was shocked at this part. I, I said out loud, I was like, so now they just don't even have to say spells anymore. You <laughs> can just do it. That's a big movie thing. They just, ah! and they do the whole thing and it goes back to Voldemort. And that's part of the thing that makes it confusing is that Harry uses Expelliarmus. So when the wand flies out of Voldemort's hand and back into Harry, in the movie, you just have to know that's what it is, even though he didn't say anything. But then the Voldemort death is so... Dramatic. It's so dramatic. And what's nice in the book is that they do the spells. There's no big, like, you know, the spells meeting, Priorian, Cantatem thing. It's just like the spells meet. It rebounds off of Voldemort. So it's Avada Kedavra is what kills him. The wand flies out of his hand and goes to Harry. And then Voldemort just dies in a very non-dramatic fashion. And the other thing is that then his body is there. And in the movie, he disintegrates. But I think it's important that they have his body because at the start of all of this, everybody thought he was gone. Everybody thought he was dead, but nobody had a body. So some people thought maybe he wasn't. Now he's disintegrated and nobody was there to see it. And it's just Harry who, you know, at this point is sleep deprived and battle worn. And it's his word saying that, oh, yeah, Voldemort disintegrated. Well, what does disintegrated mean? Does it mean his spirit's still alive? I think it's very important that they have his body to look at and point at and be like, he is dead. Like, look, world, he's dead. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I think a nice element in the book is that Voldemort, who's this one that is always about the theatrics and the dramatics and all of this, dies this very normal, unassuming death. Very quick death. Just so super quick. The fight between Harry and Voldemort in the books is not very long. Most of it is them talking smack to each other, and then they shoot the spells at each other, and he just dies really quickly. Yep. And he just kind of crumples to the floor, and that's it. Yep. Oh, that was easy. <laughs> this whole time? <laughs> yeah. And that's strangely... It's like fitting in how unfitting it is for Voldemort, and I think it's really nice. Yeah. And in the movie, they do the whole thing, and then he disintegrates into specks, 
now people are like breathing in Voldemort particles. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's not good. I didn't like it at all. It made me really upset. Then you have the scene where everyone is, be you know, happy with being alive and stuff. You have a great quote from Slughorn where he's recapping how he lost his wand. He's like, I couldn't find my wand. I've never lost my wand in my whole life. And then it was lost in the folds of my gowns. <laughs> Which I thought was a great little note. I'm glad we had the subtitles on. Is, there, is this when, when everyone is inexplicably drinking coffee? Yep. That's yeah. all I could notice. I was like. Every single person in there is holding a coffee cup. <laughs> oh, one thing that I just totally forgot about. In the Battle of Hogwarts, the centaurs come out, mm-hmm. the Thestrals come out, mm-hmm. and the house elves come out yep. and start like joining stabbing the Stabbing people in the ankles. And stabbing people in the ankles. It's mm-hmm. great. It's way cooler. Yeah, way cooler. So they have that little scene where they're supposed to be happy and stuff. And then you have this exposition scene because instead of doing the awesome showdown of trash talk where Harry explains all this stuff. He explains it all to Harry and Hermione after the fact, which makes it way less dramatic. There is one nice thing, which they're talking about the Elder Wand, and Ron's like, what are you going to do with it? And Daniel Radcliffe, very good acting, he just very nonchalantly goes, it's mine, <laughs> which I think is <laughs> yeah, great delivery. Good. Yeah, But then he does something that I don't think makes any sense, which is he breaks the Elder Wand in half and throws it off the side of the cliff. Okay, so this is we come to the second thing. This is, yeah. This Kelly's is the second thing point. that I hate the most that the movies did to the books. And it's just like two subtle little changes. But this one, in the end, Harry uses the Elder Wand to repair his original wand. And it's the only thing that works. And he says something like he knew he had tried this before with other wands, but he knew that this would work. And so he pulls out the Elder Wand and he mends his wand. And I think it's so symbolic. He's got the most powerful wand in the world he has in theory the most power in the world right now at this moment and all he wants is to regain a piece of his innocence a piece of his original self and he's able to achieve that but in the movie he just breaks the wand throws it in two direction and now he still doesn't have a wand (laughs) it's so silly in the books is this really fitting moment where harry has all of the deathly hallows he could be the champion of death, which is all Voldemort wanted to be. And what does Harry want to do? He wants to return his innocence by fixing his wand, hide the resurrection stone, hide the wand, and just keep the cloak. Like, that's all he wants to do. And it's a shame that the movie decided to change this where he just breaks the wand. And then they leave out a bunch of stuff. In the movie, Harry goes to Dumbledore's painting because they make paintings for all the past headmasters. And Harry has a great conversation with painting Dumbledore about everything that he's done. And yeah. all of this. It's really nice and touching. You also, in the book, learn that Kingsley Shacklebolt becomes the Minister of Magic. You don't learn that in the movie. That's very disappointing. The other thing is when he breaks the wand... Mm-hmm. It reminds me of that scene in Mean Girls where she breaks the crown and starts throwing pieces to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> He's got this look on his face like, it's just wood. It could really just break. Which is, so he <laughs> like, breaks it in half and starts throwing pieces around. Just It's the stupidest thing. The Deathly Hallows just seem very unbalanced. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's this insane wand... There's this thing that resurrects you and then just a fucking cloak. Like, that's just... But that's the whole thing, is that it's the most unassuming, but it is the most effective in avoiding death, which was the whole point of them. That's fair. That's a good point. Very good point. Okay. I dig that. But then you've got the epilogue, 
19 years later. Oh, yes. Which I hated in the book, just existing, because in the book, they have this wonderful closing line. Where, All was well. Well, no, no, no. That's the end. Of, that's the final line of the epilogue. Oh, you're right. The final line of the book is Harry just Harry just wants to go to bed. Uh, he yeah. just wants to go to sleep. He had had enough. He thought tr- he'd had enough trouble for a lifetime. Yeah. The narrator closes out with saying he had had enough trouble for a lifetime, and I just wanted the book to end right then and there. But then we get into the epilogue, which is 19 years later, and you know who didn't win the Oscar for hair and makeup? Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, because these kids don't look old. (laughs) Kelly, as you said, it looks like they're just playing dress up. Yep. I think that Harry and Ron do a pretty good job of looking old. Uh. Ron's got that belly now. Ron's got the belly. Right. It's easier to make men look old. You put a little Mm -hmm. scruff, make it a little gray, and then you put a little weight on them, and they all of a sudden look older. Hermione looks exactly the same. Ginny looks like she's playing dress up. She looks simultaneously looks good and bad at the same time. It's hard. Yep. Draco looks all right, but he's got a weird beard situation going on. Again, that's how you make men look older. Yeah. And everyone's just chill. Just there's Draco. Yeah, Draco's there. It's fine. Noted racist Draco Malfoy just there with everyone else. I like to think he's gone to jail and served his time at this point. (laughs) You know, we can only hope. We'll live in that little fantasy world. And then, yeah, they send the kids off. I will say the way that Daniel Radcliffe talks, his voice sounds significantly different, which is cool. Definitely sounds like he is older when he's talking to his kid. And he talks like a dad, too. Mm Mm-hmm. When he says, you know, Albus Severus Potter, you've named after two. Which, okay, let's talk about this really quick. Yep, (laughs) yep. The first time he's telling his, like, 10-year-old son where his name comes from is right now. (laughs) (laughs) Also wild that he chose Severus, but that's a discussion for another time. Oh, yeah. He's like, Severus was the bravest man I ever knew. He's like, was he? You knew a lot of really brave dudes. <laughs> Lupin was right there. Lupin was very brave. <laughs> Lupin straight up died like right there, dog. Come on. <laughs> the scene itself is fine. I'm just mad that the epilogue exists more than anything. Yeah, the scene itself is as well done as it could be. Right. They polished the turd as much as they could. <laughs> and that is the end of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 and the end of this episode of Potterless. So. <laughs> You did it. Kelly and Ty, thank you so much for joining. Kelly, as a whole, how do you feel about this movie now that we've talked about it for hours? It's still one of my least favorite movies because of the ending being so weird and such a letdown. But I think that the first half of it is very good. And that one scene in the courtyard is very good. Mm -hmm. What about you, Ty? You know, not having the book... All I can say is that I do love it. Okay. It is it is good. That's fine. Okay. Hopefully we haven't ruined it for you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting close, but, but I still loved it. The next time you watch it, you're going to be like, ah, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> I hear the glass shattering in your head right now. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you guys for joining. Kelly, before we go, anything you'd like to promote on um, this There's episode? this great podcast that I've been listening to called Potterless. Oh, I wow. really suggest wow. that everyone okay. is out there. Listens to it. All really, right. really wonderful stuff. Okay. Host is smoking hot. Ooh. All wow. right. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Yeah. How about you, Ty? <laughs> you know, I do. And I wanted to take this time to hopefully be the first one Ooh. to congratulate you two and say, congratulations on being married now. Oh, thank oh, you. Yeah. Thank because you. at the time of posting, I think we will be 
married, but yeah. at the time of recording, we're not yet. So you're definitely the first one since we're not married yet. And nobody has congratulated us on being married. Exactly. But when this is <laughs> yeah. live, then it'll all make sense. All of a sudden. You, yeah. You yeah. have transcended reality where basically you are in multiple places. You're like Dr. Manhattan in... Watchmen, where you are experiencing multiple timelines at once. Simultaneously, we are both engaged, but then also married. That's you right. have transcended That's right. the event. <laughs> and, of course, just uh, check out my, my Instagram account, Ironing My Underwear. It's very good. It's fun stories, wild pictures, good shenanigans. You That's can, right. Did you, are your old YouTube videos still up? They're up. You can go to oh, yeah. YouTube, Ironing My Underwear, and find them all. <laughs> Uh, a good time. We had some fun times back in the day. This is true. <laughs> and here we are. But man, thanks so much for joining. Kelly, thank you for joining as well. Listeners, thanks for listening. And until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, before they give a really awkward hug to Wizard Hitler, <laughs> Wizard on! <laughs> oh, another fun episode of Potterless. You know what also has consistently fun episodes? The other multitude shows. There's Horse, where Eric and I posted our set from the live show in Houston. Eric talked about a musical that was put on by an NBA GM. I talked about the NBA's pettiest player, Russell Westbrook. Spirits has been doing myth movie nights. Those have been very fun. Join the Party is starting its new season. You can get right on the ground floor of that. And Head, Heart, Gut is starting to cover the Fast and the Furious franchise. All wonderful things. If you want to learn about any of these shows, you can go to multitude.productions. Potterless is created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Jesse Horgan, Klaus Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Ponce, Sanfilio, Rosemary Dodge, Marie Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadonier, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Ross Ann Batamana, Nikita Power, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krauss, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orca Grower, Vivian the Owl, Takari Ron, Haley Hastings, Moster, Ingen Oddstotter, Alex Consilver, John Codker, Noel Basile, Emily Tyrell, Liz Bigelow, Brandon Pickens, Sarah Ensign, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Gloria Gillen, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklew, Frida J. Svensson, Ivor Peterson, Naomi Guglielmo, Summer Rathel, Andrea Crock, Lynn Walker, Justin Montero, Christine Saunders, Jacob Parrish, Toothless Walnut, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Ned Atabani, Zina. Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Addy, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alford, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Lindy Placky, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Aaron Richter, Eileen Gazesh, Violet Sullivan, Lindsay Towning, Keegan Curran, Miranda Manning, Gail Ann, Mr. Folk, Maya, Kieran, Lily Leader Williams, Wire Warrior 4976, Floor Sake, Siri Scars, Ford, Georgia, Peter Wyckoff, Skylar Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskov-Chova, Daniel Fulkerson, Lee Lidley, Elizabeth Christofferson, Michael David Yordi, Tiffany Cottrell, Kelly O'Till, Carrie Krempler, Connie Bienkowski, Mary Mateel, Jennifer Went, Jaden Allman, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Samantha Lentz, Kayla M. Simino, Aurora Fruhoff, Emma Clark, Out of Context 69, Marco Cepeda, Hannah Zeters, Courtney Spilker, Victoria McCormick, Marika Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, Julie Walton, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Anna Penalber, Alvarez, Fake Valentine, Brianna Jordan, Jenny, Sarah Saunders, McKenna Tweedy, Mary Joy Moi, Heather, Weekend of Dead Cat Ladies, Javi Guadalupe, Trejo III, Darlene Kerr, Brad Harding, Thomas Chavara, Charlotte, Brianna Cusimano, Kevin Stewart, Lori McDonald, Chrissy Tew, Bugaboo, Jarl Sviven, Haley Logan, Emma, Ashley Enstrom, Peter McGrath, Sophie Duda, Jack McMahon, Jen and Rose Dab, Nicole Linzer, Callahan and Darius, Kylo the Husky, Leah Reed, Melissa Robb, Jordy Right, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Bill Gill, Victoria Colcaperi, Joe Radwan, Elizabeth Yu, Britt McLean, Molly Bautista, Becca Spry, Anthony Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Courtney Harris, T Run Money, Madison Kyle, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, G, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Herabat, Melanie Duhreif, Maria Matt Barger, Okamahime, Yimki, Bony Pony, Jacob Rossitano, Kelsey Gillespie, Taco Blowfish, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Rochelle Mobs, Megan Moon, Alicia Chapman, Riley Kittis, Steamed Nuggets and Can't I Potter, Web Design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Kabama. 
Otherwise, if you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash podderless, twitter.com slash podderless pod, instagram.com slash podderless podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash podderless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to podderlesspodcast.com. For bonus content, you can go to patreon.com slash podderless. For merch, you can go to podderlesspodcast.com slash merch. And to see us live in New Orleans, you can go to multitude.productions slash live. If you want to tell someone about the show, whether it's in person or online through review, that really helps a ton. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on. <laughs>